we have been in this series called Follow. And really what we're doing is we are describing what it means to follow God. And so when you look at following God, really there are four pictures, four stories in the Bible. They are called the Gospels. And the Gospel stories are our opportunity to see the life of Jesus lived out and played out before men. And so there are actually four stories, these Gospels, they're explained by four different authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was one person that walked with Jesus. So was John. Luke did not walk with Jesus, but he was a historian. And then you also have uh, Mark. And Mark actually hung out with Peter. And Peter was a disciple that walked with Jesus. And so we have these four incredible stories detailing and describing what it means to follow God. So that's what we've been doing in this series, just taking from the Gospels, helping us understand who God is. And as we learn to follow God, we've learned some things. And what we learned last week is that when you follow God, you are able to be overcoming of your fears. We said that when you follow God, it gives you a faith that overwhelms your fears. And when you follow God, it leads you to this place where you do not have the absence of pain, but you have the presence of God. And that will leave you with an irrational courage, a confidence in God that you know that, yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't fear evil because you know God is with you. And so you have this confidence in God. And you can live a life that's fearless. And you can live a life knowing God is with you. If God is for you, who can stand against you? So what we've been saying is that there are some hard truths of following God. And he tells us this stuff up front. And he says, this is going to be some hard times for you. So in this message today, really what we're learning is that following Jesus means denying yourself. And this is one of those hard things that Jesus says. You know, we, we said this the other week that, um, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, he's not like those commercials we talked about where, um, you know, there's those medicine commercials that, you know, they might heal toe fungus, but they, you know, on the low, they tell you you have colon cancer, and, they, and on the low, quietly, at the end of the commercial, they kind of sneak it in there, because they know if you tell you, if they tell you this bad thing about this medicine, you won't buy it, because it's not worth it anymore, but Jesus tells us the hard truths of following him, because he presumes he's worth it. He presumes that if you can know all about him, you can know some of the hard things about him, you'll still want to follow because he's still good. So here today, we're, we're looking at this deeper side of following God. Some hard truths. Now, I just want to warn you, this is something that many people don't understand and they don't get. And there becomes these tough times. Jesus is going to say there's a cost to following God. And it's going to cost you something just to be with him and walk with him. And so in, in following God and in following him day by day, he gives this analogy um, in Luke chapter 14. He gives this analogy in saying it's like a war. He says, following Jesus, he says, imagine a man going out to war and he begins to count up all the people that are in his army. He says, imagine that and think through that. And so he gives an analogy of following God like a war. But he's giving that analogy so that you wouldn't be surprised when there's a cost to following him. Can you imagine going to war with somebody that ain't ready to go to war? I mean, you know, you go out there, you have a gun, and they have a helmet, and then all of a sudden people start shooting, they run back, and they're like, people have bullets out here. <laughs> and they're like, of course, you're in a war. And Jesus tells them up front, there's a cost 
This is like a war. This is like a battle. Following Jesus is going to be intense. And that's the truth of following God. And so there's this um, paradox that we have. The, the paradox is that we live with this understanding that victory is in Jesus. We sing these songs and we get super inspired. We look at verses like Jeremiah 29, that you know he knows the plans for you to prosper you, to give you a hope. And we say amen, that's true. We look at Philippians chapter 4 where it says that, you know, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. And we say amen, that's so true. We look at Romans 8, 28, all things are working together. We say amen, that's so true. And we look at all those things and we see the benefit of following God. But if you only stay there, if you only see those benefits of following him, those things where he's leading you to victory and triumph, you'll end up being a consumer but not a follower. You see, the fact of the matter is just, I mean, isn't that good when, you, when somebody tells you their baggage up front, like, this is going to be hard to be with me? He says, up front, up front, there's going to be a cost to following Jesus. This cost could end up being your life. For the disciples, it was their life. But in many ways, he's saying that there is something that you are going to have to deny yourself from in order to follow me. And all of us will have that decision to make on some landscape, on some point. If you're going to follow Jesus, there's something that you're going to have to tell yourself no to to get more of him. And if I only were to shave down, and there's people who do that, if I were to only shave down the texts that talk about how good God is, that would be great, but I wouldn't be describing you the full picture of a life with God. Because he says there is a cost. There are challenges. And so to follow Jesus, it means you're denying yourself. When you first hear that, denying yourself, you, you, you kind of in your mind, you're like, man, there are certain sides of me that I, I know that are good, but there, I, I guess there are things that are bad in me. But this is oftentimes denying something that you might think is good. And people around you might think is good too. But the more you study Jesus and the more you follow him, you'll find out he doesn't want you to have it. Um... If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, the tension of this text, you'll see it early on. You'll see how there are people believing, man, I, if I follow Jesus, I get what I want. But Jesus is going to clearly show them following him does not mean you always get what you want, but you do get him. Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 27 I think we have it up on the screen. It says that Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a, it's an area that was very, uh, it, has, it was very polytheistic. It had a lot of different beliefs. And so Jesus is going to ask them a question based upon the fact that there were so many beliefs in that city. And he says, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? You ever had anybody ask you that question? You know the awkwardness of people asking you what other people are saying about them? You ever felt that tension? Feel the tension in the text. What are people saying about me? What are you hearing? Oh, gosh. There's people that don't like you. I've heard some things about you. They feel the weight of this moment. What are people saying? And so look at the way the text lays out. He says, 
who do people say that I am? In verse 28, it says, and they, meaning all the disciples, chime in. They say, man, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say one of the prophets. And so realize that they have this belief in reincarnation, that Elijah was a really cool prophet. A lot of people knew him. There were many prophets of that day that people knew. And so you are a prophet, people are saying. And if you are a prophet, that means that you point to the way of salvation. You tell people about the coming king, the coming Messiah. You tell that story. And so he's like, okay, that's what people are saying. But look at verse 29. Verse 29. He says, but who do you say that I am? And he presses in. And now it's not just about what other people are saying. He wants to know directly the disciples who he spent all these years with. He wants to know directly, what do you guys believe about me? And they don't all chime in. Only one person chimes in. Only one person says something. In verse 29, he says, who do you say that I am? And one person speaks up, and it's Peter. Peter answers and says, you are the Christ. The Christ, the word Christ is not his last name. It's actually meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, the coming king, the one we've always been waiting for. Even as I was a little Jewish boy, I've always heard about this Messiah that would come one day, and all the prophets spoke of him, and you are that one. Well, he gets an A. He answers the right, he answers the question correctly. He says, you are the Christ. And so there you see this incredible picture of Peter coming to the conclusion of Jesus' actual identity. But then, it's this incredible turn that makes, if you look in verse 31, Jesus is going to affirm the fact that he's Messiah. He says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And just look at that one term right there, Son of Man. When he says Son of Man, he's talking about being Messiah. He affirms, I am the Messiah. And uh, we, Daniel 7.14 is where the term Son of Man comes from. And he says, and to him was, listen, listen, just listen, 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 just, just listen. Listen to what he's saying here. It's going to help you. It's, gonna, it's really going to help you. Look in here, Daniel 7 and 14. Look at what he says. And to him, this is the son of man, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man can't be beat. The Son of Man can't be defeated. The Son of Man is the one we've been waiting on. We heard about him in Daniel. He's going to come and he's going to have a kingdom that can't be destroyed. Oh, you're the Son of Man. And Jesus says, yes, I am the Son of Man. But he will also say, in turn, the Son of Man the one you've heard about ever since you've been a little boy, I got to tell you something about him. The Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must be rejected by the elders. The Son of Man, he's going to be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes. And listen to what's going to happen to the Son of Man. He's going to be killed. And three days later, He's going to rise again. 
And this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man, the one you've heard about. This very one Messiah. And so Jesus, what he's doing is he's combining two different prophets. The prophet Daniel talked about how he would have dominion and glory. That's the Son of Man. But then the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 42, he would talk about a suffering servant. And there were these things called the servant songs where it talks about oppression and affliction. And then this one, this one, this Messiah, he would be bruised and he would be hurt and he would not be something you'd want to look at. But this servant, this son of man, he combines two prophets. And he says, both prophets are talking about me. And so Peter has a tough time thinking, if you're the son of man, you can't be destroyed. He's not looking at Isaiah. He's looking at one, two, three different prophets. But he wasn't, he didn't have the panoramic view that Jesus has on the scriptures. Jesus understands all the prophets and he's the culmination of all the prophets in one idea and in one man. And so the beauty of that is that Jesus is giving them a full display of what it means to be Messiah. You see, if you only leave Jesus as this, this prophet that is the son of man in Daniel chapter 7, then we know that following you, I'm always going to prosper. Following you, I'm always going to have dominion. Following you, I'm always going to have glory because that's what it's saying about you. But he's saying, I'm not just the one in Daniel. I'm also the guy they're talking about in Isaiah. I'm that guy that's going to get hurt. I'm that guy that's going to get afflicted. Don't just cut out those parts about me. There's another side to me y'all got to hear about. And when Jesus tells them that, he's giving them a fuller picture of his life. And so in verse 33, he says, um, <laughs> crazy. Verse 33, but, I'm um, sorry, verse 32. And it says, he says, he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside. <laughs> he took him aside and said, get behind me, Satan. Um, I'm sorry, let me go back up. Uh, verse 32, rather. And he said, he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What a crazy scene. So here the disciples are all standing, sitting there, and Peter actually grabs Jesus, pulls him to a side, and begins to have a counseling session with him. And do you know what he probably told him? You know what he probably said to him? He probably said, you just said, you're the Messiah. You just said you were the coming king. I just said you were the Christ. I look like a fool now. I stepped up and communicated to the rest of these people. When they were saying you were a prophet, I was saying you were a king. Listen, don't go all prophet on me. Don't go all negative. Don't say you're not going to be the dominion, the one having all the glory. Would you just step up and be the king? Come on, Jesus. And he rebukes him. Oh, be that king we've been waiting on. But Jesus, now just picture in your minds, he pulls him to the side and he's turned around and they're having this conversation. And then in um, verse 33, but turning, so Jesus turns around after he's turned him that way, he turns around and seeing his disciples, it says he rebuked Peter. 
And this is what he said. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, of course, this is a crazy rebuke. Because Jesus has never called anybody Satan other than Satan. He's never, he's never had anybody that stark of a rebuke. He's always said, you're a brood of vipers or you're whitewashed tombs or all these other things. He said bad things about people. But why would, listen now, why would Jesus call someone Satan who just called him the Christ? Why would, why would he embarrass his greatest pupil? Why would he bring low someone who has said the best thing about him, something that he should have said about him? Jesus does this, not because Peter was Satan, but he was saying the things that Satan would say. Satan, as we see in Matthew chapter 4, we see in the temptation of Christ, Satan will always try to get him, get Jesus, to live towards comfort, to not have to go to the cross, to kind of ease back and not go through a way of suffering. And so in Matthew chapter 4, he tells him, listen, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. And in Matthew 4, Jesus says to Satan, as he, as he gives him that offer, he says, he says, go away from me, Satan. Because he knew that even though it sounded right and sounded comfortable, it was still evil. And see, oftentimes Satan always masquerades evil thoughts as helpful advice. And so it sounded good. And the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan comes as an angel of light. He comes giving good advice that sounds right, that sounds comfortable. And just let me give you a commercial break. Uh, the Proverbs say, faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Just because someone gives you sound advice that feels good does not mean it affirms the scriptures or is even sound advice. It just means it might make you feel right. But your feelings aren't God. God is God. And he's given us his word. And if it does not line up with his word, you know, the Bible talks about in James chapter 3 that there is a worldly wisdom. So worldly wisdom, you're sitting there, you'll say amen, but God is not. You'll agree with it, but the Lord is not agreeing with it. So this sounds good. This sounds good. Don't go to the cross. Don't have to suffer. Don't have the weight of the world on you. He says, that's nothing but Satan. And that's the way Satan works. And so Peter is thinking like a consumer, but not a follower, because he wants the road paved easy. But Jesus knows that he's going to have to give his life for the benefit of others. So in verse 34, Jesus does this. He says, look, guys, huddle up, because we've got to talk about this. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, this is for all of us, if anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? And Jesus is talking about something here that people in the world already know about. Jesus is saying something that everybody already knows. So in our, in our Western way of thinking and in Western thought, there is this belief that the way to peace and happiness 
And the way to finding yourself is to find what you want the most. If you can just enter into your desires, like get what you want, then you will have a happy life. Emily Dixon, uh, she has a statement, and actually I heard Selena Gomez has a song called The, the Heart Wants What It Wants. Anybody know this? Okay, I don't know. You know that song? Okay, word up. So it's The Heart Wants What It Wants. I've never heard this song, but... but yeah. But this is not a call and response right now, but, we'll, but we are going to maybe talk after. All right. The heart wants what it wants, right? And what it's actually saying is that, in essence, your desires are the greatest pathway to life. You know, you want what you want, and so you should go after whatever you want. And forget what your parents think. Forget what society thinks. For e even forget anything that you would reject. Listen, go after whatever you want. And once you find it, once you find out you're happy, then you found life. And the greatest question we tend to ask people is, are they happy? And yet, the very sad day comes that one day when you find out you get everything you want. You know, um, if you're a person that's miserable, you can always live with this assumption that, oh man, I don't have the right car. So when I get this car, I'm gonna be happy. And then you say, man, I'm single. But once I get married, I'll be happy. And then you get into a small apartment and you're like, once I get some more room, I'm gonna be happy. Once my income increases, I'm gonna be happy. And then the sad day comes that you actually get everything you wanted and you find out that you're the same person that was living in a small apartment, but just in a big apartment. You're the same person that, that was unmarried, but now you're married, and you're the same person because you got everything you wanted. And the reality is that what, what the movie stars knows, what the, what the greatest boxers know, what all the people who have all the money in the world, what they know is to have everything. You forfeited something. You forfeited the real joy of wanting something more. He says, what if you profit the whole world? He says, you'll lose your soul, your inner man, the deep longings of your life. You'll lose that if you get everything and if you live with this mentality that you always have to have, that you always have to live subject to your wants. And so Jesus is going to say in verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. The real pathway to joy it's not by always getting what you want and always achieving and victory, but it is also coming through brokenness and sacrifice. It is actually by telling yourself no oftentimes that you have the way to life. And this, this is an invitation to real life and not just existence. You know, when you hear deny yourself, far too often you might think that we're talking about just discipline by just telling yourself no to some things. But in essence, what we are talking about is not just telling yourself no, but it's saying yes to Jesus. And in saying yes to Jesus, you want more of him. And so you reject certain things so that you can have more. Denying yourself is about being consumed with someone else. Oftentimes people think, well, I want to deny myself. So you, you'll think about discipline. This is not just talking about discipline. This is talking about delighting in God in such a way that you reject certain things so you can have more of God. If you deny yourself for the purpose of having more of yourself, all you get is you. 
But if you deny yourself for the sake of Jesus, then you get more of Jesus. And so you're saying, I want to be consumed more with a great and awesome God so I will say no to certain things so I can be in his presence and know him more. That's what denying yourself is. And so if you look in the way that this is written, it's really bookended. This is a really weird Sunday. Like, there's like 20,000 things happening. Do y'all feel that? I'm like, are we in a church service? Or it's like, there's a lot happening right now, all right? But listen, listen, I don't care what's happening because I'm going to preach the word of God and I want you to hear this because this is, this is what I want to say. Too many of us are living based upon our desires and our desires are the king of our life. And we need to make Jesus the king of our life. And so this, look at the way that this is bookended. Look in verse 34. Come after me. You want to come after me. This is what you got to do. Deny yourself. And then after you deny yourself, take up your cross, take up a burden, and then do this. Follow me. So this is not about denying yourself, and this is not just about hard times. This is about Jesus. You want to come after me? You want to follow me? Deny yourself. This is bookended in following and focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just about being ascetic and disciplined and fasting and all these things. It's about wanting more of him. If you just do denial for the sake of denial, you'll have more of you. And the reason you wanted a car was because you weren't happy with who you were in the first place. The reason why you wanted a man and the reason why you wanted a woman and the reason why you wanted other things is because you weren't satisfied in you. But just by rejecting or disciplining yourself does not mean you're getting the fullness of Jesus. That's what, we, that's what he's saying. If you want the fullness of me, you must reject certain things inside of you. And this right here is the borderline between maturity and immaturity. This right here. Because when I talk to the people that are truly not getting the fullness of, of what it means to walk with God, far too often it's they can't break or separate from what they want and what God wants. And they just heard a different Christian life. They just heard something about God always doing things for you, but never heard about you giving yourself for him. And when they saw the cross of Jesus Christ, they said, oh, he did that for me. Yes, he did that for you, but he also did it to model what you will do for him. Give yourself away. Jesus is calling us to give ourselves away. He's calling us to pour our lives out for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. The minute that you start following Jesus, you are following someone who is on his way to a cross to give himself away. If you do not see that, then you will always look at life like, why is things not happening for me? But you have to see that there is a road, a Calvary road. When we follow Jesus, there's a Calvary road and its way is to suffering. There is suffering on this road. There is a cross. I was telling somebody the other day, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, we watched the fight last night and we were talking about Manny Pacquiao and, and Floyd Mayweather and they were like, Manny Pacquiao was saying, you know, the Lord will deliver him into my hands. The Lord will deliver Floyd Mayweather into my hands. And I was like, why would he even say that? Why would you even bring that up? There's no guarantee the Lord, you're, you're making it sound like a promise. Lord hadn't promised you that he'll deliver him into your hands. What he has promised us is a cross. What you need to tell people is that you love Jesus in spite of the results. Not just when things go right. Yes, there's victory in Jesus. Yes, he'll bless us, but that's not the whole story. This road we are on is a Calvary road. There will be suffering and there is a cross. 
And there is a point and there is a day when you are going to have to deny something you feel is so right, but you know in God's eyes it's so wrong. And some of you are at a point of decision even now where you're having to, you're, you're, there's something in your heart and mind that you know you need to hit that button that says, no, I need to reject this. But something in your heart and mind, you keep saying, I got to keep trying for it. I got to keep asking for it. I got to keep going after it. And you're in a battle right now. You are in an intense battle right now to follow Jesus because it's so hard to reject yourself, to deny what you feel like you want. And if you can, in your mind, have it in your mind, that you will have to deny yourself, you will find significance and you will find life. But what we realize with this is that salvation is free. It costs nothing. But following Christ will eventually cost us something. If you have that vision in your mind, then you will follow well. To be clear, when I say denying yourself, you will feel a moral imperative, something you feel like you must do and that you know is right. And in many ways, it will feel like a death of some kind. And no one will be able to appreciate it quite like you can. And it will feel like a defining moment in your walk with Christ. And it's something that will be a burden to you and something that will be heavy. And it will be your cross. Oftentimes, um, when we say take up your cross and follow me, there can be an unpopular stance that you have to take amongst family and friends or amongst others that you know. Something that will be unpopular, but something that will exalt the name of God and the cause of Christ. There may even be the way that you do relationships. You know, um, we did a relationship series and people talked about relationships. It actually crashed our server online because so many people were listening to it, and that's great. But after, people kept asking me questions like, how do I do relationship here, and how do I do relationship here? At the end of the day, there may come a point where you have to cut certain relationships off for the glory of God. The Bible talks about in Luke chapter 14, sometimes you have to reject your father and mother for the glory of God. And what it was talking about was great allegiances, great relationships that you have. You would have to cut those off for God's glory. So there may be relationships that you have to change so that God might be glorified. <laughs> but even times, there are times where there are opportunities. Opportunities that you may need to let go of because God is calling you to let go of it for his glory. Um, I was told once about a, a young man who actually had an opportunity. This opportunity was working for a Fortune 500 company. And my understanding was uh, it was a cable company that he was going to be working for. And as he was going to work for this cable company, there were a ton of different monitors that he was going to have to look at every day. And as he looked at those monitors, what he found was there were tons of different channels he was seeing, but then there was one channel that he would always have to look at and monitor, and it constantly showed porn on this channel. And this job that he was going to get, he had interned for this organization, and this job that he was going to get was going to be a job, a six-figure job right out of college. And so when he went in to get the job, he realized, I have to make a decision. I'll have to sit here every day 
and watch porn and get six figures, or I can reject this job because I know God would not be glorified. And so the young man, I'm told, ended up telling this job offer, no, I can't do this because I know this, this wouldn't be an honor to God. And so the, the, the higher-ups in the company, when he said, you know, it's kind of hard being a young man watching, just having porn up there every day, the, the people at the board of the company said, we've never had anybody have a problem with it before. So, you know, they were like, we're not going to change our policy. So he was going to have to monitor it, so he had to let the job go. Now, this is, this is where we have to tell better stories. See, what I want to tell you is three months later, three, three months later, he got a job, right? He, he got a job. He got a six-figure paying job, and that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Three days later, three months later, he was still jobless. He still didn't have a job, living with his mom, still. And his pastor went up to him and asked him, listen, man, it's, I'm so sorry. I heard you still don't have a job. You took a stand for the Lord and you still don't have a job. He's, and you know what he told him? He said, no, 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 no. I want you to know this. And these are his exact words. He says, I have not lacked for anything since I made that decision. And God has provided for all my needs on time. And listen, listen, this is what he said. I want you to quote this verse. When you tell this story, I want you to quote this verse. Watch this. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And see, we've read that text meaning, oh, that means I'll never go through pain. No, you look at that promise through the pain. And there will be the suffering before the glory. And you look at these verses and you know, God, you hold on to these verses in the valley. But this will not always be on the mountaintop. And it is through these stories that we get the real picture. Because there is a cost to following Jesus. Now listen, we, this might be the most animated message that I've been a part of. Not my animation, the animation out here. This is like a race out here. Listen, but... but what I want to say is this. Some of you have a decision to make right now. Some of you have decisions, whether it might be an unpopular stance or an opportunity or relate. Some of you are in the crux of a decision right now. And it is a defining moment with your relationship with God. And I want you to know right now, be encouraged. Because God will be glorified through your cross that you have to bear. And everybody in this room has a cross because following Jesus means taking up your cross, following him. Today, today follow, deny yourself. Follow, deny yourself. Follow, deny yourself. If anyone would come after him, if anyone take up his cross, deny himself, and follow. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just give us the wisdom, give us the insight, give us an understanding of what it means to follow you and to make decisions that would give you glory. Give us a heartbeat, God, that would be able to just, just know what is it, what is it, Lord, that you are 
telling me to deny. There are opportunities I may need to let go of right now that, will, that they may seem right, and they may even be Christian opportunities, but I may need to reject those things because you will be glorified. There are things that they look so right and they look so good. But even now, we're having to say no to them. God, would you build courage in our people? A courage to follow. There may be decisions that we have to make that we seemingly, seemingly will be rejected by men. But that is the essence of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is one who was innocent, pure in heart, yet rejected by men. Even today, Heavenly Father, would you teach us what it's like to follow you day by day? Would be able to walk in the countenance and in the shadow of your ways. Spirit of the living God, bring us to those clarified decisions those clarifying decisions that will help us to see what it looks like to walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor James, for uh, the message. Let's give it up for Pastor James. Amen. Amen.